Ladies and gentlemen, make way for your four hosts. There's Ross, a man so passionate that he could turn any airline feud into a full-blown Kardashian drama. Then there's Christos, the only one of our four hosts who actually knows anything about flying a plane. Then there's Tom, a man so loud that he can still be heard over the roar of a GE90 engine. And finally, the man with the news, and the only one who talks any sense, there's Nick. This is the Radio Runway Podcast. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Radio Runway we're up to episode six, and we are very excited. Boys, how are we feeling? Oh, you killed that, Christos. That was awesome. I am feeling very good. I'm feeling I'm feeling <laughs> extra good for that intro. That was amazing. Thank I feel you. hyped. Thank you. If, Thank I, you. If, it, if it wasn't already for the fact that I feel hyped, it's been so long since the previous episode, it's boys. Been a minute. I'm so sorry to our listeners at home. Yeah. We look, look Tom, Tom's been busy, but we, we've been able to arrange this with him now. <laughs> Whoa, hang on. You cannot just place the onus on me, my friend. Okay, but a collective effort. We all collectively as a group have... As a group have one thing to say, and that is... I want to apologise. <laughs> yes. I want to apologise. That's a great lead in. That's a great lead in. Well, Nick, tell us what we're in store for today, my friend. Yes, Tom, this week in today's episode. This week on Radio Runway. Yeah, baby, yeah! This week, the boys announced via their Instagram that you, the listeners, would have the opportunity to choose where to send us for the day. After a hotly contested race between Hobart and Brisbane, it looks like the boys are headed for some warmer weather for the day in a few weeks' time. This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardise it. Last weekend was Easter. For most of us, it means lots of chocolate and hanging out with family. Christos, however, it meant eating enough food to significantly shift the weight and balance of a Piper Warrior. Let's just hope he doesn't have to fly for the next few weeks. (laughs) Since our discussion with First Officer Mitch Hutchison, we've welcomed many new listeners to the podcast. To all of you newbies out there, hello there. As always, if you like winning prizes or engaging with anything aviation related, find us on Instagram at Radio Runway Pod. This is where we'll launch any and all future giveaways. Wow, wow, is very nice. That's the fortnightly wrap up. Now back to the episode. <laughs> that was incredible. That was beautiful. Actually, I've got to say, Tom, when you said that we'd be going to Brisbane in a few weeks, we actually have been what? to Brisbane. Yeah, no. say, how long ago did you record that? Yeah, hey, seriously, we seriously been to Brisbane Monday. already? Yeah, we what? went on Monday. Doesn't time fly when you're having fun. Exactly, wow. Exactly. We had a great day in Brisbane. Pick up what did you do? What did you guys do up in Brisbane? Bit of plane spotting. Oh, well, you'd expect, right? Yeah, I rate that. Nah, we went to the city. We went to South Bank. We went to the Valley. We went into... Uh, what else did we do? We went to Streets Beach. Uh, Hit up the pokies. Good old Breeze Vegas. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> went, in, <laughs> went in Vegas, right? Wow, wow, we right. Yeah, at the wah, star. Wah, wah, wah. Exactly. At the star. At the Star, the Star Casino. Jet Star, that is. Oh, right. Yeah, that. Well, yes, it's been an interesting three weeks, and we apologize for the delay by a week. As we said, we'd like to apologize. Now, boys, as always, uh, we, we'd we like to thank our friends at Collectors Aircraft Models Australia. As mentioned in the previous podcasts, they were established in 1996 in Melbourne as an exclusively aircraft model retailer. And since the early days, they have grown to be Australia's largest outlet in die-cast, wooden-carved, Push fit markets covering both commercial, military, sport, and general aviation in leading scales. They source their stock from leading manufacturers from both within Australia and the world over, regularly receiving updates from manufacturers and suppliers as to what's new and being developed. Boys, speaking of the regular updates that they send, we received one today 
that showed a an airline in uh, one to two hundred scale three twenty of an airline that Nick really loves, don't you, Nick? You're Nick, a big fan of it. Big fan. Makes you feel very, very good. good. <laughs> we are, we of are, course, we are referring to Peach Aviation, the glorious airline that Nick couldn't guess for the life of him during uh, during the game show. Who am I? A few episodes back, it, the you airline that, that takes the great man down. <laughs> yeah, I. It, it didn't take me down. It made me draw with you and Chris. <sighs> which draw is a win. In which we will book. all collectively take as a win. Right. Yeah. The, fr- the sheer right. frustration that you had. That's so right. I'll, I'll take that any day. Made me and Christos still feel very good. Very good. Okay. Now, we actually also have a- another thank you to throughout today. Because, boys, when we decide to go spotting at Melbourne Tunnel Marine, which is our local, of course, there is a staple of every trip to the airport. The planes. Well, yeah, obviously. Duh. But you know what else comes with spotting the planes at Telemarine? A fine establishment where we can get our coffee, where we can get our sweets, our breakfast, our morning tea. It doesn't matter. They do it all. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you today about Eiffel Tower Cakes. and They are based in Telemarine. They were established in 1976. They're an Australian-owned company. They sell high-quality goods and products direct to the public from its Tullamarine premises. From its inception, the family business has satisfied the traditional customs of the old country, Italy, for many festivities celebrated on a regular basis, namely christenings, communions, confirmations, special birthdays, engagements, and weddings. They can, they are so versatile. Boys, I mean, you've showed me a photo the other day, Christos. A virgin blue cake. A virgin blue cake, yes. If you go to them and say, I want an airplane cake, they will make you a 3D aircraft cake in whichever airline you want. It is incredible. What was incredible was some of those Easter eggs that I found in there the other week. Oh, how oh big were they? Oh, my goodness. The, cano- yeah. the cannoli is my weakness every time. Cannoli is yeah, world famous. I've heard many people talk about the cannoli there. And the other thing, as I mentioned, them being a family business, everyone's involved. Through their sheer hard work, customer loyalty, and assistance from the managing director's wife, his three sons, all pastry cooks, as well as over 20 employees, all of whom are dedicated groups of chefs, cake makers, cake decorators, and service staff. Today is not only the European community who are vocaciously enjoying the product manufactured on site, but also other nationalities. Because let me tell you, it's not just certain sects of Melbourne that enjoy this. It is the entire state. So if you're in Victoria, head to Tullamarine and head to Eiffel Tower Cakes. For you all will of, not be disappointed. For all of our Melbourne-based aircraft spotters, please make your pit stop on the way to work. It is a four-minute drive to the threshold of runway three or four and the spotting areas. Your coffees will still be hot, your pizzas will still be hot, and your cannolis and sweets will still be as sweet when you get there. It is such a staple to stop by it's on the way to spotting. Definitely check them out. Guys, you will not regret it. Okay. Anyway, thank you for that, Tom. Thank you for the shout-out. Big shout-out as well to my man, Anthony, who never fails to spoil us whenever we go to Eiffel Tower. Now, moving on, Tom, you've got the black box segment for us tonight, and from what I've heard, it's an absolute ripper. (laughs) Black box. It is. It is. I've worked hard on this, boys. I have worked very hard. I don't know if it's just my headphones, but whenever you play the black box soundbite, it always scares me a little bit. <laughs> I got to think I have to turn my volume down a bit. Okay, we got to soundbite that one, surely. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You would, wouldn't you? <laughs> You're damn right he would, son. Moving right. on to the black box. 
For many countries, there is an airline that acts as a national carrier to their citizens. And in most cases, the airline will represent their country on a global scale, connecting destinations around the world to the cities of its home. For many, a carrier like this is their first exposure to the country that they are travelling to, and so for that reason, the airline is often considered to be an icon. And for the best second half of the 20th century, there were two airlines that became the pride and joy of Australian airlines. One was Qantas, and the other was ANSAT Australia. The airline began way back in 1936, just before the beginning of the Second World War, and similar to our much-loved Ryanair, or the historic Laker Airways, the airline was named after the man who founded it, Reginald Miles ANSAT. Reginald was the operator of a fairly successful road freight transport company. Okay, look, when I say fairly successful, he was actually so successful that this company was stealing market share from other state government-backed rail freight companies. And after a while, the state government was not happy about this, so they actually legislated to stop private road transport operators from competing with railways. And this is where ANSAT Airlines comes into the picture. This man was so good at thinking outside of the box that he realised air travel was regulated at a federal level rather than a state level. So he decided to found an airline. And it began as a freight carrier. And after a few months, Reginald realised that maybe he could introduce passenger services to accompany his freight and make a bit of extra revenue from each flight. The catch was that his air operating licence only permitted cargo flying. So what did Reginald do? Once again, he thought outside of the box. He would take a portion of his cargo on each flight, specifically locally sourced oranges, and he would sell one orange to each passenger for two pounds upon arrival to their destination, and that was their fare. It didn't take too long after this exploit began for ANSET to be granted the right to operate passenger services almost as a reward for their creative thinking in a way. This allowed Reginald to continue to class his flying as cargo freight through exploiting some creative loopholes. The first ever flight was a six-seater Fokker Universal aircraft flying from Hamilton to Melbourne Essendon Airport. And for clarification, Christos, just so you know, okay, it's not Hamilton Island. Damn okay, it. it's Hamilton <laughs> in regional Victoria. Ah, <laughs> okay. That's a shame. Yeah, yeah, and it ran from Hamilton to Essendon, but... Funnily enough, after the airline established its home base at Essendon Airport a year later in 1937, the next milestone in ANSET's history did involve Hamilton Island. Beautiful. Love okay. that. Because after ANSET became the pivotal component in the evacuation of Darwin and Broome residents in 1942 during the Japanese bombings, the US military rewarded the airline with a fat payday. ANSET actually used this money to establish a number of holiday resorts in the Whit Sundays, where they eventually rolled out regular services in and out of the Holiday Island. So, so they basically used the spoils of World War II and assisting the US military to make a bunch of resorts in the Whit Sunday Islands. Sick. And then they just started flying in and out of them, kind of like a purpose-built sort of route, I guess. So again, creative thinking. Reginald Ansett is a ruthless creative thinker. That's the, the message we're taking away here. Now, this is where things start to absolutely rocket for Ansett. And we know from everything we've heard so far about Reginald Ansett that he is driven and ex- 
he's an extremely creative businessman, but not even Reginald himself could have predicted the meteoric rise of this airline. With steady revenue coming in from government contracts, holiday resorts, road and air freight revenue streams, and much more, and with countless surplus World War II aircraft that landed on the airline's doorstep after 1945, that's right, they inherited a bunch of old war aircraft, Okay, and it's its true beginnings as a fully-fledged commercial airliner began with the introduction of the Convair 340 in 1954. And from there, Ansett's fleet grew to 43 aircraft by 1958, including two helicopters. Two helicopters. Just want to throw that in there because I didn't know that they owned helicopters. Neither did I. Yeah. Impressive. Ansett helicopters. Okay. Then came the glorious 727-100 in 1964. As we have in front of us, courtesy of Christos. It is a beautiful model, by the way. Thank you. None Thank you, Collectors Aircraft Models Australia. Once again. Beautiful. None of our viewers can see it, but we can see it, and it's amazing. It's stunning. And then shortly after the uh, 727 came the DC-9 in 1967, and then the major move shifting their hub of operations to Tullamarine in 1974. Now, back to the 50s for a second, because two historic Australian airlines, TAA, Trans- uh, Trans-Australian Airlines, and ANA, I think was Australian National Airlines, yeah, don't get that mixed up for all Nippon Airways. It's definitely not. currently the Japanese, one of the Japanese carriers. Yeah, no, it's definitely not it that. It wasn't that, though. <laughs> it's yeah. Australian National Airlines. Um, yeah. Not Australian Nippon Airlines? Oh, jeez. <laughs> that is a um, sort of a cinematic universe crossover. Do you know what there. I think of that? I think of that. That is a shocking airline. Yeah, Australian Nippon Airlines. Don't fly them. Uh, <laughs> okay, so TAA and ANA battled for supremacy in the 1950s. TAA was better managed and in having superior aircraft, they had ANA on the ropes and on the verge of bankruptcy in 1957. ANSET had operated as a smaller player around the big two, maintaining budget fares on its interstate operations with DC-3s and Convair CV-440s. As you would expect, the airline was supported by extensive road transport operations. ANSET Freight Express and ANSET Pioneer Coaches and ANSET coach building operation in Melbourne. They built buses all under the ANSAT umbrella. They built buses. They built buses. That was one of their arms of the operation. And so much of the the huge profit that came from all of these subsidiary businesses was flowed back into ANSAT, the airline, because they wanted to boost that up. They wanted that to be the focus of the coming decades. So from here, at the time, the Menzies Liberal government supported TAA because of the dividends it paid to the government. Now, to be clear, again, not Menzies Aviation. I was going to say. Robert Menzies. First thing thought. Who was our prime minister at the time. He actually favoured TAA because of the dividends it paid to the government. So, in other words, TAA sort of had a portion of their profits or their their money they actually gave back to the government. So, obviously, it's basically saying that the Menzies government was in TAA's pocket at the time. But they were also cautious not to let TAA have a monopoly on domestic services if ANA were to collapse. So even in the early stages, the Australian government could see that a Qantas monopolising style situation was something that needed to be avoided for Australian domestic services. So there's clearly a lot of growth to indicate that at some point in the future, it could become a big problem if we just sort of let it slip and let that buy. The only alternative was for ANSET to buy out the ANA operation, and the government was prepared to support such an action. So in walks 
our friend, Mr. Reginald Lancet, who, true to style, intentionally lowballs in his offer to purchase ANA. This man knew what he was doing. The ANA directors resisted because they knew just as well as Reg did that they were not getting the money that they were truly worth and what their assets were truly worth. And yet, they eventually caved into ANSET's offer due to a lack of interested parties or buyers. So, circumstantially, no one else wanted to buy ANA. So, Reginald, knowing that, lowballed them and got it on the cheap. ANSET's final offer of £3.3 million, and again, I can't believe I'm about to say this, $3 million of that was government money, plus £300,000 acquired from the most prominent supporter being the Shell Oil Company, was finally accepted. That's right. Let's just take this in for a moment, guys. Reginald ANSET really managed to buy ANA without using a single pence of ANSET money. He used government money and Shell Oil Company's money. He negotiated with the government and Shell to have them provide the entire sum of 3.3 mil for the purchase. It wasn't well negotiated in 2001, though, but... <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll he get to that. To that yet. Because, because that, comes, that comes at the sad price of... You'll see, you'll see. So now there's two major players, TAA and ANSET ANA Airlines. And given that our friend Reg has just pulled off uh, an absolute weldy, if I were TAA... I'd be a little scared, and rightly so, because then in the late 50s, Reginald Lancet comes back and lobbies the government to stop TAA's purchase of Sud Caraville jet aircraft, stating that he was concerned about the airline's eligibility to finance jet aircraft and expenses necessary with the engineering upgrade required to go pure jet aircraft. TAA had been operating prop jet Vickers Viscounts since 1954, and had expertise in jet and turbine technology. So they had they had the expertise. It was there. And yet, he successfully lobbied the government and they put a block on TAA buying jet aircraft. Looking back at Australia's rich history in air aviation, most experts would agree that this action delayed the introduction of pure jet aircraft to Australian skies by five years until 1964. So just because Reginald Ansett didn't want a different airline to be the first one to get jet aircraft... He basically halted the progression of Australian aviation with the introduction of jet aircraft. That's, mate. Uh, He's literally yeah. got a monopoly by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, this man literally. does what he wants and gets away with it. Okay, so now with that delay of jet aircraft to the Australian skies by five years until 1964 came the Boeing 727-100. It began flying and back now to 1974 where we left off. NSET is now Australia's largest domestic airline. They continue to consume any smaller airlines and subsidiaries in all states. Reginald Ansett is completely ruthless. He deems absolutely any airline that isn't his own to be a substantial threat. Ansett's passenger services are now on such a large scale that in 1979, Ansett Transport Industries passed to transport giant TNT and the multimedia corporation News Limited. And by 1980, it was a totally separate company with Ansett Air Freight being formed to maintain the airline operations. This is kind of the turning point, fellas. Ansett Australia operated its first international flight on 11th of September 1993 and Air New Zealand purchased 50% of Ansett Australia on the 1st of October 1996, purchasing the remaining 50% on the 13th of June 2000. Ansett Australia... ANSET International, Air New Zealand and Singapore Airlines joined the Star Global Alliance, the largest in the Asia-Pacific region 
And at 30th of June, 2001, ANSETS fleet consisted of 67 aircraft, including 24 Boeing 737-200s, 20 Airbus A320-200s, 9 Boeing 767-200s, plus the regional airlines in the ANSET group, Kendall Airlines, Aero Pelican, Hazleton Airlines, and SkyWest Airlines, together comprising a fleet of 53 aircraft, including 11 CIJ-200 jet aircraft. So keep in mind, they own four subsidiary airlines on top of their own. And now that we have the picture of how ANSET grew to sit alongside Qantas as a beacon of Australian air travel, let me tell you about how it came undone in 2001 when suddenly ANSET was no more and how today it is nothing but a remnant in Australia's rich and extensive air travel history. Was their demise that quick though? It was, and you'll see why. It happened over the course of uh, roughly six to eight months. It was all over, and it came thanks to a person who is also responsible for the introduction of something really brilliant to Australian skies. You'll see. I want to (laughs) apologise. So following TNT and News Limited's chomping at the bit to take a piece of ANSETS pie in 1979, the airline's ultimate split from its freight transport revenue system would be its demise. And sadly, two years after the deal was struck, in 1981, Reginald Ansett died, age 72. And with the man himself no longer around to maintain Ansett's dominance, and with no money from freight services to bolster and support airlines go- the airline going forward, Ansett began to bleed money. Jet maintenance costs alone saw the airline lose more than $800,000 a day. A day! $800,000 a day! Which saw the total daily loss sitting at $1.3 million. And yet even so, our good friends across the ditch at New Zealand saw value in ANSET. And after failing to acquire a 50% stake in Qantas in 1995, they settled with TNT over a purchase of their 50% stake in ANSET in 1996 for the grand total of $475 million. Those four years saw continued losses due to maintenance shortfalls and, and I quote, substantially overpaid staff. It's almost like Alan Joyce wrote this himself. <laughs> Make money is actually a good thing. Would you reform the government that money back? Of course you won't. Exactly. As well as an aging fleet. And yet, for some reason, no alarm bells were rung. Consumers, employees, and media were left mostly in the dark. The signs of significant financial loss were there, yet no one acknowledged them. Because after all, this is ANSET. The ANSET tale is a recognisable Australian landmark. Five years later, it's 2001. And on the 12th of September, the beginning of the end. Acting Chairman of Air New Zealand, Dr Jim Farmer, announced that ANSET Holdings and a number of its subsidiary businesses, including airlines, have resolved into voluntary administration. Three partners at PricewaterhouseCoopers are appointed as administrators to take control of ANSET. And so begins the timeline. The first truly substantial blow came 48 hours later. PwC partner Peter Hedge, the man charged with the task of dealing with ANSETS Australia's administration, announces the suspension of all flight operations of ANSET Australia, ANSET International, Hazleton, Kendall, SkyWest Airlines and Air Pelican. Anything to do 
with Anset Airlines is shut. Done. And 24 hours after that, the government announces a $10 ticket levy to cover costs of supporting Anset workers' entitlements. 48 hours after that, now at the 17th of September, just five days after the announcement of the administration, Anset Administrator Peter Hedge stands down. The intense backlash to shutting off services so hard and fast has become overwhelming. Staff and passengers across the country are fuming at the sudden nature of the shutouts. As a result, Mark Corder and Mark Mentha of Anderson, the two Marks as I'll call them, were appointed as administrators of the Anset Group companies. And then a day later on the 18th of September, the two Marks revealed to the Australian public that maybe Peter Hedge was right to be so extreme with his measures. They estimated that Ansett's debt could be as high as $2 billion. And this is in 2001. So now that amount would total $3.5 billion. $3.5 billion. Over the course of the second week of the chaos, the two marks slowly rolled out the continuation of elements to Ansett that, despite everything else, remained profitable. Pelican and SkyWest would resume their profitable routes and using aircraft that were appropriately serviceable, in other words, not old and broken, Ansett's cargo division, which would remind, which I, I want to remind you all, was the entire footing of Ansett to begin with, the whole reason it even began. Reopened with 250 plus employees reactivated to continue their jobs, 100 Ansett international grand handlers were reactivated to serve as other international airlines as third-party operators. The third week of administration saw Kendall Airlines get back off the ground on a super limited number of routes, granted, but that only happened after a $3.5 million injection from the federal government. The two marks determined that there were five ANSET A320s that were reliable enough to re-enter service and begin flying profitable routes again. And even then, this is only after the two marks secured a federal government guarantee and this is important remember this later federal government guarantee that they would financially aid the jump start so ANSET 2.0 they secured a government guarantee that there would be financial aid involved in that this is on September 27th 15 days after the beginning of the end and also keep in mind that every fare still has a $10 levy to subsidize employee wages this move saw 1500 employees return to work from September 29th October 1st, these five A320s are spread across the trunk routes of ANSET, covering mostly Perth to Eastern Seaboard hub routes, and one route internal to the Eastern Seaboard was restarted. Any guess on the route, boys? What route do you think was the most profitable <coughs> for ANSET from city to city on the Eastern Seaboard region? Melbourne, Melbourne, Sydney? I was going to say Melbourne, Sydney too. No, uh, you're not. I'm going to say... Actually, no. I'm going to say Cairns, Sydney. Uh, given Tom's reaction, it'd be Brisbane, Sydney. Oh, he's nailed it. He's nailed it. It was Sydney to Brisbane and back. But eventually, over the course of October, the remaining popular eastern seaboard routes were restarted in small numbers. Jump to November the 8th. This is a month later. The two marks have successfully consolidated a decent portion of ANSET. Everything looks good. Everyone's like, yes, things are going up. Things are coming back on track. Maybe ANSET's going to stick around. The incredible promise from this federal government to assist the total overhaul of the airline going forward, sort of keeping the airline's future alive. And it is this promise in mind that a a consortium of Aussie bigwigs band together to purchase ANSET's remaining assets. The two marks can wipe their hands of ANSET and say, job well done. So, Lindsay Fox and Solomon Liu 
joined together as Tesna Holdings to acquire ANSET mainline operations and other assets at a total of $3.6 billion. And over the course of the next three weeks, incredibly, ANSET 2.0 becomes more and more likely to be a thing. Job advertisements are posted for new staff. All current staff are told that they get to become a part of history as Lindy, Lindsay Fox and Solomon Liu announce the rebirth of an Australian icon. Everybody collectively is going, it's happening. Stay calm, everyone. Everything, Everything's going to be normal. Okay, we're going back. And honestly, everyone thought this. The media, consumers, subsidiary airlines, everyone. Except there's just one thing that no one accounted for, boys. Because it's now the 20th of November. Literally a week since the new job listings have gone out and a complete rebrand of ANSAT has, has, has been announced. As it turns out, this guarantee from the federal government to assist to restart ANSAT was not so solid. You see... Qantas CEO Jeff Dixon had met with the Australian government and boy do I wish I was in the room for these meetings boys because this man ultimately became the final nail in the coffin for an airline that was almost resurrected. It's literally ready to go. Everyone's going, ANSET's okay everyone. Crisis averted, two months in and Jeff Dixon, a Qantas CEO, I don't know what it is with Qantas CEOs, he meets with the government on the 28th of November, the federal government ruled out any special help for the bid by Lindsay Fox and Solomon Liu to what? relaunch ANSET, pledging only to work with Qantas on a gentleman's agreement to prevent wow. all anti-competitive behavior. And that was it. Fox and Liu certainly did not have the ability to reform this airline without sacrificing other businesses that they owned. And so on... The 12th of December 2001, just two weeks before Christmas, the Administrator's Redundancy Program Executive Summary stated that 4,379 employees had been made redundant and had been advised of their entitlements owed to them under relevant awards or enterprise bargaining agreements. Of that total, 83% or 3,617 people had received their payments in lieu of notice by December the 10th. As of the 4th of March 2002, after 66 years of flying, passengers in Australia and set ceases flying operations. Over the course of the next six years, all aircraft are sold or retired. All employees are made redundant or assimilated into similar roles at other airlines. And by the 9th of September 2008, just three days shy of being exactly seven years since the beginning of the end, ANSET is no more. I and did not know that about Qantas. I... Obviously, growing up, I would hear stories, and I didn't know that was a downfall. And so I thought, to be honest, I don't know if I can say this, but I thought it was Air New Zealand that was a downfall of Answer. Air New Zealand obviously bought the airline with the intention to fix it and did the opposite because they had an aging fleet. They didn't correctly allocate re- funds and resources to yeah, servicing the dying and that, fleet. And that's the rumor I heard that, for an example, Air New Zealand were borrowing or taking parts from ANSET maintenance and putting it towards their own aircraft. So essentially bankrupting, taking money out of ANSET without putting it back in. Yeah, I think that came at the cost. Well, I, ca- I think that came after the realisation was made that there were there was no way of minimising the bleed of money that was occurring. So they basically thought, oh, we'll, we'll just strip ANSET for the resources that we can. And that definitely was an element. It's wow. very interesting... 
point that you made there because as you were talking about Air New Zealand financing and set and actually buying, was it a majority share in the end? Mm, yeah, yeah. It actually was. Um, was it a hundred percent towards the end? Yeah, and then they sold it all to. Oh no, they announced voluntary administration and had PwC handle it for the first week, and then it was Anderson after that, as I said. But yeah, eventually they had they owned a hundred percent share in, in Anset. It makes me think of Etihad Airways and their strategy of investment, how they invested heavily into failing airlines, and that didn't work out for them, did it? No. I mean, Etihad. Let's think about the airlines that they invested in: Jet Airways that has failed, Alitalia that has failed, Air Berlin that has failed, Virgin Australia as we knew it pre-COVID, which has failed. It got bought out by Bain Capital, but that's another Tiger story by for Virgin. Time, but yeah, 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 absolutely. Was was Air New Zealand actually affected because of it? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Um, I've. I'm not sure. You boys probably know. But on my YouTube channel, I've done a video on New Zealand as an airline. You have? Um, and Starting it, off with flying boats. That's right. At one point, they actually had the government, they asked the government to step in and assist with them because ANSET was causing significant issues within their own operations because suddenly this money bleed was becoming less about saving ANSET and more about not letting so much money from Air New Zealand go into the airline. And Christos, to your point, it realistically, to a degree, is Air New Zealand's fault. Because, yeah, yeah sure, sure, Jeff Dixon to was, the final, was the final nail in the coffin. Sure. That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But how do you think they got to the point of involuntary That's administration? Right. It happened because of Air New Zealand. It was a building, I guess, a building ticking time bomb. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just too many elements in play. And unfortunately, that was the end, I guess. But just wanted to ask, because we know Air New Zealand now, the kind of airline that it is, great reputation, mm. very safe. Nick, you recently flown on them. You said you had an amazing experience. Great um, CEO. Yeah, can't fault Air New Zealand. Great. So, Taz, but what Taz was... Operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do we know what ANSET was like as an airline? As in quality-wise? I tried to. Wise, I safety. tried to express the overall sort of vibe of how ANSET was presented by telling the story of Reginald ANSET because an airline with a CEO or a founder, a creator as ruthless as that, is going to be one that finds the best way to draw in the Australian public onto that airline. And and like I said, it was an Australian icon at one point. For the better half of the 20th century, better late half of the 20th century. It was like the first Qantas then. Right, exactly. And I think ultimately the the real beginning of the end was not necessarily when it was put into voluntary administration. I don't think it was even when New Zealand bought the first 50% share. I think it occurred when ANSET Australia was sold off to TNT and News Limited because suddenly a man that is at the helm, a man that is responsible for business decisions that – Basically, you could you could compare to the ruthless nature of Qantas in the 21st century. That man, when he died, or when that deal was made a few years before he died, the whole landscape of the airline shifted. The culture, every expectation for the airline shifted because suddenly all of these innovative 
ideas, all of these ways of jumping through loopholes. There's no person at the at the front going, let's do this, let's do that, let's to, exploit this. To build on that, it's going to sound like a bit of a conspiracy now, but it sounds like there were too many personal agendas from the inside that were going on. And I think everyone was caring more about, I guess, the dollar and what they were making, trying to, I guess, fabish their own lives more. Fabish, is that the word? Either way, trying to make their own lives better than worrying about the life of the airline and trying to build it. Think about it. Look where Ansett could have been now. For we know, Ansett could have had an A380 or a Neo if it was still around. I mean, yeah, we, we, can, we, can, we can look at where Ansett could have been. We could have That's looked. right. Qantas could have failed as well on multiple exactly, occasions. Exactly, yes. Um, Qantas could have failed literally straight after the global financial crash. Virgin they nearly were, failed after COVID. They were on their way out. Exactly. Very, um, writ, like they barely made it through, but they did. And the other thing on that also is going back to that sale to TNT and News Limited, that separated the freight side of ANSET to the airline side of ANSET. Okay, and when that occurred, suddenly you're taking away the revenue stream that I talked about. All of those different successful businesses that were feeding money into ANSET to prop it up and and help it to continue to be successful and grow, that's gone. You're, you're, soft, you're cutting off the blood supply. That's, that's pretty much like cutting off all of Bonds's little companies that are feeding that airline. Oh, yeah, Bonds 777 Partners. We talked about the news, triple, didn't we? 777 yeah. Partners, yes, but also all the, the other little companies that, because, for example, all the produce, food, drinks, is all Australian-made. Imagine you start cutting them off from Bonds. Then where's Bonds going to go? So can I just ask, was yeah. Ansett still, um, still acting as a freight forwarder for right until the very end? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When, so when, at what point did they start making losses on their freight? They didn't have a choice on keeping the freight in freight business alive. It's funny. I actually had a great conversation with one of my ex co-workers who worked at Menzies Cargo when I was there, um, and he worked at Ansett Cargo. He was there when all of this went down, and he said to the very end, him and his co-workers worked through all of it. There was no real effect. That shut off for 24 hours or 48 hours, sorry, by the first um, administrator at PwC. That cutoff was the only period where they weren't working because ANSAT Australia's cargo division was so successful. And it wasn't until they announced, like the, the Jeff Dixon incident occurred where suddenly Qantas is the only airline in the pockets of uh, of the Australian government that suddenly the cargo side of things was affected and it was slowly dissolved. And th- when I said that employees were assimilated into similar companies across, uh, similar airlines across Australia, that mainly applied to the cargo division because everyone just snapped them up because they're valuable resources. That was a successful business. That was the only part of the of Ansett that was still not bleeding money towards the end. And all of those employees were heralded as these great cargo experts. And so they had no problems getting job as, jobs anywhere else really. It's so interesting that you mentioned that Qantas were, I guess, with your theory, they're the leading cause of as to why ANSET failed. It's really ironic because one of their A380s is actually named after Reginald ANSET. V H O Q H. Yeah, there no, is an irony in that, isn't there? It is. 
VHOQH is named after Reginald Ansett. Oh, can you say it's, it's like them trying to cover up what they did? Like, no, we were always in support of Ansett. <laughs> no, like, we're is sad it? to see him go, but yeah, that's true. They do have an, an, uh, an aircraft named after him. Is OQH still in service or like Ansett, have they scrapped it? OQH is still in <laughs> that service. That was brilliant. No, 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 no. Um, that's good. That's good. That's good. The that. A380s that, are, that they have retired... Uh, OQE and OQF. Those are the two that they've retired. The rest okay. are coming back into service. But today we're not talking about Qantas. We can talk about Qantas on another episode. Yeah, as I'm sure Jeff Dixon or Alan Joyce or any other Qantas CEO will tell you, we have all the time in the world to talk about Qantas because it's not going anywhere. Because they actually, you know what? Maybe, maybe Jeff Dixon learnt from the best. Maybe he learnt from Red Janset. Because it only takes one ruthless man at the top to make the harsh, the tough decisions. Again, technically, Jeff Dixon just gave Ansett a taste of their own medicine. If you look back, what I was saying about how with the uh, ANA takeover, how he strong armed ANA by lowballing them, and then used government money and Shell Oil Company money to buy ANA and absorb all of their resources. Like that is such a baller Qantas type move. Well, they had a. Pretty impressive fleet as well, as you were reading out the fleet. Very strong uh, fleet. They, did you mention they had a 747 even? And set. They did towards the end. Yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. They uh, even I don't know how many 747s they had, but there definitely was. Yeah, yeah, One of the ANSET 747s was actually a leased aircraft from Pacific Airways, I'm pretty sure. There you go. So they got to hold the Queen of the Skies at least as well, which is very good. You mentioned, Tom, that Sydney-Brisbane was their... Most profitable route. Yeah, yeah. Can you believe That's that? Crazy. Uh, you would think Sydney, Melbourne, right? And also, I do. I want to note that I actually mentioned in that part that they started up the most profitable routes to use those, utilize those five ends at three twenties that were fully serviceable. Right? Almost all of them were Perth routes. Almost all of them. I could not believe it. Do you know why they were all Perth routes, though? It's a lucky Brisbane built a third runway. It's a great parking spot for an aircraft. It's a great parking spot <laughs> for an aircraft. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. basically Alan Joyce had parked all the aircraft out. Yeah. On, uh, I like nah, that. Just kidding. That just is kidding. our that's our latest soundbite from our friend, right? Exactly. The current CEO of Qantas. Yeah. There you go. Potentially not for long, though. The Financial Review actually did an article um, a few weeks ago. You actually, Nick and I, you, we were just talking about it a few moments ago. They've started interviewing for the new CEO. Yeah, from my understanding, it's uh, Vanessa Hudson. They brought in a Vanessa guy. Vanessa Hudgens from High School Musical. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you, you wish. wish. You wish. Oh, Vanessa mate. Hudson. Uh, Maybe we should they have brought a- in a guy from Air New Zealand. I believe he's going to get it. Is it going to be Greggy Boy? No, no, no. Sorry. No, Greg, Greg. Greggy stays in New Zealand. Greggy stays in Auckland. And, um, and Olivia Worth. Olivia Worth. Yeah, she's CEO of Qantas Loyalty. Our man you know what? Mitch. While we're at it, why not Jane Hurdlicker? She can do two airlines. She's also doing Tennis Australia. Why not? <laughs> yeah, Just exactly. pile on the workload. <laughs> so, yeah, boys, that yeah, that is the story of Anset. And no, that's fascinating. Who knew, that's, that's honestly fascinating. Who knew that Qantas would be the final nail in the coffin? I well, did not yeah, know. I, that. I always thought. Um, I always thought nine eleven had something to do. Yeah, with that, it. I, thought, I thought that was the, that was. I mean, if you well. look Actually, at the yeah. date of voluntary administration, it aligns suspiciously well with when the event occurred. But it's also so it's too soon, day. right? It's also too soon. You think about it. The date of voluntary administration 
was the 12th of September, 2001. That's a day later. You're going to tell me that ANSET in the space of 24 hours went, oh, yeah, crap, it's all over. There were definitely bricks that were already laid ready to crumble. Oh, obviously. And the yeah. final brick could well have been 9-11, definitely, because suddenly you've got to grand your entire fleet. And it obviously coincides with the grounding that, that took place after PwC 48 hours later were appointed to um, to deal with the administration. But, like, still, it's pretty soon after it's 9-11. Crazy stuff, though. How mm. a company can how a company can grow that big, and you get to a point so strong too, and yeah. you get to a point where you sort of think to yourself, "This is too big to fail." Like you, you you'd look at Qantas right now, and you'd go, "That's too big to fail." Mm. That that could never, never say fail. never. But like, yeah, but towards the end of COVID, Qantas were weeks away from really. That's true. Vir- hitting some financial Tiger trouble. hit the bucket. Virgin were on their way out too, and then Qantas was right behind. Yeah, Qu- Qantas, 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 was, Qantas was never going to fail though. They got yeah, financial I agree. Back from the go. Qantas were never going to fail. That, Virgin, they, Virgin, they were they were not actually, far from really needing some some sort of reform. Oh, they would have gotten. That. Actually, funny yeah. enough, Qantas <laughs> would have gotten the <laughs> reform before Virgin, but really, I I'm pretty sure. Say? No, they didn't. No, I'm saying if they were, if there was going to be a reform or some kind of government help, I feel as if Qantas would have received it before Virgin. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah, yeah, because Virgin never got anything. That's what yeah, I mean. No. Virgin so, never got anything. Even, even, I mean, if we look at the Virgin Airlines, Virgin, wait, Virgin America failed before COVID, right? Virgin America got bought out by Alaska. Yeah, that's true. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So all, all of Virgin America's um, aircraft are now painted in the Alaska livery. That's pretty cool. Virgin Nigeria failed. Virgin Samoa Virgin got bored. Virgin Nigeria was a thing. Man. Yeah, I know. I had to, I, I just got bored yeah, with Virgin, all the Virgins. Virgin Samoa was gone before COVID, though. No, well. Virgin Samoa got eaten by Virgin Australia. Yeah. It became did. the one thing. I love their livery, though. Okay, you're gonna yeah, cut- you just change Australia to Samoa and that's it. No, you no, can, on, okay. the, on the engines, it was all that Pacific Islander, like the red stripe around the engine. If you look closely, it was actually... Like all the Pacific Islander okay. markings. So the only current virgins we have are Virgin Australia, Virgin Atlantic. Yeah, Virgin, Virgin, Gal- Virgin Australia has Virgin got nothing Galactic. to do. Virgin Galactic. Yeah, this is fully separate. Yeah. Yeah, well, Virgin Australia's got nothing to do with Branson no more. They've been brought out by um, Bain Capital. Yeah, that's right. 100% by Bain Capital. So Beardy Branson has nothing to do with Virgin Australia. Yeah, no swiped more. his hands with it. Yeah, literally. Well, thank so, you, Branson, anyway, for starting it. So, yes, ANSET. And, it, I mean, you look at some – they had some incredible liveries. They had some credible uh, – they were the incredible sponsor of a lot of events, Sydney 2000 Olympics, ANSET. Exactly. So, what Sydney was – uh, so, obviously, once ANSET unfortunately collapsed, Qantas was there, but who else took over from ANSET? Well, as I mentioned, a lot of the cargo employees were assimilated into other airlines. Yep. But most of the employees, the majority of employees, were left to fend for themselves. Wow, that is there shocking. are some there are some crippling pictures, and I'm sure we can put together a post showing some of the emotional final uh, goodbye pictures from some of the ANSET staff. There's a there's an infamous one of a pilot crouched down in tears in the hallway of the ANSET domestic terminal at Melbourne Tunnel Marine, having heard the news the morning of. Because you think about it, right? This is announced. On the morning of the 12th of September in 2001, flights are still you know, going ahead. Flights, Everyone, everyone's doing their duties. Dom- domestic duties are still about to begin operating and then suddenly you get the word, you're out of the job, buddy. You are out of the job. I would be the same. 
I'd be on the gr- ground crouching <laughs> thinking, you're, what is my future going to be? You're out of the job, but you're also saying goodbye to so many memories, so many peers you've worked with uh, yeah. for a passion that you've worked That's so true. hard That's for. That's true. And, and let's not forget for a second, airlines like Kendall and Pelican Air, all the little ones that were under the Anset umbrella that had to say goodbye. You know, every there was there's so many employees associated with this downfall, and to think that I would love to hear from Lindsay Fox. Oh boy, I'd love to just sit down and interview him about purely the Anset situation. Get his full side of the story from start to finish, the timeline. At what point? What was his reaction when he heard the news of Jeff Dixon and Qantas? There it is. That's the photo right there. Oh, is that the one? Wow. We'll put it up on the Instagram. But yeah, we'll put it up on the Instagram, yeah. There's a great Instagram page I'll also share uh, on the story at some point, but um, it's a history of ANSET Instagram page and they go through each week and they post this day on this year. This is what ANSET was doing and it's incredible. But yes, boys, um, I hope you enjoyed the story of ANSET and the um, unfortunate demise that took place. No, it was very thorough. No, time. thank you for I, taking us yeah. back in time a little bit, Tom, and teaching us something. That, no, was, that I, was incredible. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to that. And uh, obviously, I didn't grow up in Australia, so I don't know too much about the history of Australian mm-hmm. airlines. Like, I know the players that existed, but that was probably about it. And it was very interesting listening to something like ANSAT being as big as it was, and then that collapsed probably... That Even is, on a similar scale as something like a Pan Am. That's right. Yeah. Like, that story has really opened my eyes to how much I didn't know about ANSET before yeah, yeah, I started reading same. it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, can I note, I went to I went to lunch for um, my beautiful fiancé Jamie's birthday today. And when we were there... Happy birthday, Jamie. Shout yeah, out. shout out, Jamie. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, Jamie. Yeah, shout out, Jamie. Love happy you. Happy birthday. Okay, so... I talked to her stepbrother, Noah. Shout out, Noah. Shout and out. Noah is a, I think he's a hes a young, fit, healthy, 19 years old. And Noah had never heard of Anset. Really? Which tells me that it is truly a forgotten remnant. You're not seeing that Anset tale. It's not front of mine. He's heard of Qantas. He's heard of Jetstar. He knows all of them. But obviously, Anset, thing of the past. Done. Here's the million dollar question, though. Yeah. Does he know Tiger? Oh, now that would be a test. Actually, can you ask him if he knows Tiger? I will. Noah, if you're listening, reply to the Instagram account saying if you do or don't know about Tiger. And Virgin Blue. What about Virgin Blue? Like, that's a little more. I got to fly. I had the privilege of flying on Virgin Blue. Me too. Me too. What about Pelican Air? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yes, no. That is Anset, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, That was Anset. That was Anset. That is the story of Anset, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Ross. And with that, I'm going to hand over to a man who is, he's around the regos, ladies and gentlemen, and he's going to give us a tour of rego roulette. Yes, gentlemen, welcome back for another round of rego roulette. I don't want to do this. Nick's going to win again. Well, no, no. <laughs> you see, I've tried my best to make it. Yeah. The, if uh, you forfeit, I win anyway. That's so you true. May as so well try. Full disclosure: yeah. I've memorized the regos of about sixteen different peach aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> and I damn haven't. it! Why didn't I think of that? We're speaking of right. the radio runway. What, gentlemen? Are we ready? 
Start off with an easy one. Come you know, on. Nick's so good at this. You don't even need to read it out. He's you should. Go on, Nick. What's the answer? <laughs> oh, uh, all right. An easy one, fellas. Come on. Ready? Yes. Wait. Names as... I want names buzzers. as buzzers. I want names as buzzers. Name as okay. buzzers. Ready? VH and HQ. Tom. Nick. Oh, that was Tom. <laughs> oh, crap. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to just wing it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say it is a... It's a Virgin Australia 737. That is incorrect. Mm. Sorry, Tom. Mm. Nick, you were second. Nick. Alliance Fokker F100. No, that is incorrect. <laughs> Ross. Ross. Can I hear the rego again, please? VHNHQ. <laughs> I have a uh, beef cheek. We have a beef cheek because we've been sitting here Ross, so long for you, bro. I'm thinking. How are you feeling? Yeah, I can tell you. I can, I can see he's sweating a little bit here. <laughs> Is it a Qantas 717? That is incorrect. <laughs> Boys. Okay. Do um, we want a clue? Yeah, sure. I'm going to tell you where the route was. Okay. Port Hedland to Perth. Tom. Ross. That was Tom. <laughs> Port Hedland to Perth. I said that right, right? <laughs> okay. Oh, well then, okay. Uh, Alliance E190. Incorrect. Oh. Come on, boys. Nick. an easy one. Yes, Nick. Virgin, I was next. Oh. Virgin Australia A320. Yeah. That is incorrect. Oh! <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> I mean, oh, Go shame. Nick. Sorry, Ross. Oh, no. It has to be a Virgin Australia Fokker F100. That is incorrect. Oh, Tom. Ross. Tom. Oh, yes. yes. Again, Ross. Let's go. No, it was Oh, me. Tom. Go, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Virgin Australia... Embraer A190? Do they even operate? Incorrect. He's won another clue. <laughs> yeah, go on. Next. It is. Hang on, do you want I, I, to... I was next. Okay, you want to guess before the clue? Oh. Go on. Go before. Oh, you can guess before the clue. Go. Qantas Fokker 100. That is correct, Rob. <laughs> uh, hang on. I, I've, got a, I've got a bone to pick with you because Alliance owned by Qantas. And I said Alliance oh, the first time. He... Let's just settle this. What's the, Nick, what's give, the airline the code o- at the start of the flight? Nick, give me the only point I'm going to earn this game the, against you. No, the airline code at the start of flight was QF1649. Okay, so it's Corners. Okay. Even it's though Corners. it was Alliance, it's Corners, yeah. That's unlucky though, Nick, because you technically were right in a way. No, hey, he hey, wasn't. Hey, no, 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 he hey, if Ross, you go into a CASA exam and you're sort of right, you're still wrong. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. It's that like you can still get the points. Like it's, You're still the rightest, but he's also right. That's what I'm saying. I'm not wrong. This, this is how we're gonna play. Yeah, you have to, you have to cheat. All uh, right, Peach right. Boy, let's, let's settle go down, one. Peach. Oh, oh my god! Uh, yes. Uh, all, right, go. all right, next one. All right, let's try and make it a little bit more challenging. Shall okay. We? Yeah, because that, that wasn't, wasn't challenging, challenging enough. <laughs> Come on, man. Ah, <laughs> uh, VN A eight one one. Nick. Yes, Nick. Uh. That is a Vietnam A350 900. No, incorrect. Tom? Yes, Tom. I'm thinking it's got to be a Vietjet A330. That is correct! Yes! <laughs> Let's go! Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. My neighbors are not going to like it. I'm so sorry, Christos's neighbors. I think we're going to be allowed to do the podcast here again. All right, so. I'm, I'm sorry, Christos. That's fine. I'm, I'm very, so I'm very impressed by that. Thank you very. Oh my gosh! I'm now we're myself. now we're both beating Nick. All right, ready? <laughs> oh yeah, for like okay. thirty more seconds. Well done, Tom on one point, Ross on one point, Nick with zero. Can he get back in the game? 
Here we go, boys. Four R A L R. Nick. Yes, oh, Nick. Jeez. Sri Lankan A330. Correct. Oh. Is this one. the final? The winner no, takes all. No, no, it's, it's the, it's the first, first to three. First to three? Okay. We're going to be here all night, mate. No, no. Ready? That's all right. Here uh, we go. We've got yep. time. 9MLRP. Tom? Yes, Tom. Malaysian A330. Incorrect. <laughs> yes, Nick. It's a Batik 737 Oh, that's that is correct. That is brilliant. Okay. That, that's that, really good. I knew that good. as well. I was, I, was, I, was really, I was really scared though because I didn't know whether to say Batik or Melindo, even though they're the same. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Batindo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two to one to one. So since Nick, Nick is in the lead, oh, yeah. P2PXW. Nick. Yes, Nick. It is a Air New Guinea 767. That is correct. And Whoa. Nick. Okay, can I just say, <coughs> purely on the fact that he knew that particular aircraft registration, my dad, um, dad, I know you're sitting at home right now literally clapping in a room by yourself. You're so <coughs> impressed. Because I actually cannot believe how good you are at the Red Joes. No, like, the thi- okay, the thing with that Very particular impressive. aircraft is was when I used to live in Brisbane, I used to see it fly over all the time. Oh, um, okay. Well, that takes away from oh, it. That's... And you get it. Ross, we saw it in Brisbane. You yeah, that's the one I thought it was a Nigiri. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. he, you... I said and New Guinea and he thought it was Nigiri sushi. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, well done, Nick, oh. for yet another glorious victory in Retro Roulette. Thank you, boys, for allowing me to... I was, worried that that. I was worried that Christos was... Yeah, boys, I do want to note, uh, it's a shame, listeners... You guys missed out on, on Rego Roulette. We had a question that was put to us by Christos that was just ridiculous. Wasn't that ridiculous? Come on. Uh, it was it very was, fair. Metroliner? A Metroliner. Christos, mate. It was mate, it Aviation was, Metroliner. Christos, mate. It was that ridiculous it was. That is a shocking airline. Yeah, yeah, mate, mate. So, boys, thank you for indulging me in listening to the story of Anset. Christos, thank you for Rego Roulette, aside from the Metroliner. Again, listeners won't <laughs> hear that, but... I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed with your knowledge of registrations, Nick. I cannot believe how good you are at it. And your streak, I believe you're now at four wins. Is that right? Four wins uh, of six we'll episodes? Have, we'll have to go back and have a look. Wow. Yeah, have to go back. Yeah. Now, thank yeah. you to you as well, Tom, for putting together an amazing black box and taking us back in time. Yeah, thanks. And thank you, Christos, for a horrible game. <laughs> hey, hey, just because you lost, Ross. So from all of us here in the Radio Runway studio, a big thank you for listening at home. Hope you enjoyed it. We have the news coming out alongside this installment of Radio Runway, so go check that out as well. The episode coming out at the same time as the news? Yeah. Man, it's like Christmas come early. I know. What do you, th- what do you think of that? I know. No. It's like one of those, if your birthday fell on Christmas Day, that like you just get the one thing. Yeah, only it happens every fortnight with us, but anyway. That's right. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to us. Thank Sticking you, everyone. With us to the sixth episode. We look forward to seeing you on the seventh episode very soon. Until next time. See you later, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye.